0: beyond excited to announce that I have partnered up with Magimix for this season of Crazy Sexy Food. As the inventor of the food processor, Magimix is a family-owned business that has an amazing reputation as makers of quality kitchen appliances and are cherished and adored all around the world by both chefs and home cooks alike. I remember growing up and always seeing my mum's beloved Magimix on her countertop and the utter ease of how she used it. Fast forward to today and my beautiful MagiMix cook expert is literally the most used appliance in my kitchen. This latest innovation is both a food processor and multi-cooker in one machine. It's a game changer for me and it's such a dream to use. I think of it as my personal sous chef. I give it all the hard work to get on with so I can focus on more interesting jobs like tasting, flavouring and serving up delicious meals. And don't even get me started on their ice cream machine, the gelato expert. It makes ice cream to rival even the best Italian delicacies. Oh, and if that isn't enough, come September, they're launching a new range of blenders. Fancy getting your hands on one of their products? Then use my code CSFMAGIMIX for a 15% discount at magimix.co.uk follow MagiMix UK on social, download their brilliant app for hundreds of delicious recipe ideas and see how the amazing MagiMix can become your personal sous chef in your kitchen too. Hello and welcome to the Crazy Sexy Food podcast. I'm your host Hannah Harley-Young. This podcast is all about the love of food and how it plays a part in our lives. I sit down with well-known personalities, food experts, chefs, and people who just love their food to find out all about their life, career, and their favorite tastes along the way. Today, I'm joined by a man who, according to Vanity Fair magazine, is one of the best pétissiers in the world, Eric Landard. Eric is the owner of Cakeboy, a baking school in London. He's the former employee of the Ruse, and even cooked for the French Navy. I have known Eric for a long time and this sit down has been in the works for a while. Baking and everything cake is so popular these days and Eric has been at the forefront of this sweet, sweet world for many years. I'm so excited to get into this chat. Perhaps I can even practice my French on him. Eric, welcome to Crazy Sexy Food.
1: Well, welcome to K Boy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Bonjour, ça va?
1: Ça va très bien, merci. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How are you?
1: I'm very well, thank you. Um, recovering from Royal uh, Ascot, five um, epic days at the glorious Royal Ascot. Um, but I'm feeling better today, so it's perfect. This Good. is the perfect timing. Well, we
0: have been catching up before we recorded, and it sounded like it was a huge success. I mean, that's a really intense five days, you know, what were you, so you were covering all of the afternoon tea? Is uh, that
1: what you were doing? I was senior afternoon tea, so okay. there is so much going on um, during the uh, the event, during the five days event there, uh, so we got three different locations including some of the private boxes who requested our, of course. Afternoon, uh, our afternoon teas, but um, yeah, so some of the afternoon tea. But just to give you a little number. It's, it's, more than six and a half thousand afternoon tea served just our signature afternoon tea during five days.
0: That's uh, a lot of scones.
1: It's a lot of 39,000. <laughs> Easy calculation, so. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of cakes, um, but you know, it was a glorious event. Uh, the weather was there, uh, the queen jubilees, uh, we ticked all the boxes and um, and I think we delivered, you know. I was very pleased with the, um, the quality of the food and um, it was Colourful and it was great and uh, and people were so happy to to be back to finally be back together you know seeing the horses having a great time being social few drinks and uh, dressing up as well I mean Absolutely. you oh know people have been wearing gym jam for yeah. far too long
0: <laughs> <laughs> so true no I completely agree with you I think that it's um, that that sense of wanting to be back out celebrating life is definitely there so. Congratulations on that and I hope one day to hopefully come visit you at ASCOT if, if you're there next year.
1: Well apparently the um, the booking line now open already they, <laughs> What? We, we've got the date for ASCOT 2023 oh and uh, they're taking bookings already oh, okay. so well, oh there yeah. Go.
0: <laughs> so I always start my conversations with asking what did you have for breakfast today?
1: Oh my god yeah. I'm very French when it's time for breakfast. Okay. It's just black coffee. Oh. <laughs> And a lot of, um, and a lot of vitamins. <laughs> yeah, you know, the French don't do breakfast very well. You know? okay. It's uh, or you, you would have a croissant or something. I know there is that pictures uh, when we, um, but yeah, usually is black coffee.
0: So when would you have your first meal of the day?
1: Uh, lunchtime, usually. Okay. Sunday, you... I will, Sunday is my breakfast day. So I will always add like boiled eggs and soldiers and marmalade and toast and everything because that's my, my my only day off so yeah. I make sure I get a proper breakfast but you
0: know what it's not just the french every chef I speak to does not eat breakfast it's becoming it must be something to do with sort of your structure of the day because you have such a long day ahead of you i can imagine that you just sort of you just need the coffee to survive
1: yeah to keep uh, to kick the day off. I mean yeah. I can't start without my first cup of oh. coffee. So, um, and Maybe a glass of OJ, i love uh, orange juice in the morning as well so it makes me feel better, I feel like slightly healthier. But um, yeah, that's how the day starts usually.
0: Okay, I said in the intro I've known you for a while. Um, here's another interesting stat. So I've known you since my previous career as a photographer. Um, And I shot one of your book launches in 2013. That's how long I've known you. I think it was Chocolat. Yes. Um, And I remember being on crutches because I just had a foot operation. So you and I go way back.
1: I remember that moment. (laughs) And it does make me feel quite old. (laughs) Me too, me too. There's a few grey hairs under here, but you know what, we won't talk about it too much.
0: So I want to take it back to your childhood. You were born and raised in Camper, in France. I want to know what life was like growing up, who was cooking, what was on the table, was food important to you and your family? Sort of paint the picture.
1: Yeah, I mean, food was very important. Um, my mom was, um, I will always describe um, the best hostess as you, um, you could get, slightly, and she's been described in a, a British press in the past after a few interviews as um, Mrs. Bouquet or Bucket <laughs> Uh, because she always wanted to be perfect and uh, better than the Jones next door. So, um, and we always had some good food, but they were, I grew up with both very busy um, parents uh, working long hours. So during the week, it was, you know, we always had some good food, but it was like quick food, you know, uh, made at home. But at the weekend, they will definitely go um, over, uh, overboard. I mean, uh, we used to go to school on a, on a Saturday morning and it will break around um, 12 o'clock and then i can remember every time we walked into the house for it was lunchtime. uh, you would smell the roast chicken or something would be in the oven and uh, uh, they would have you know an apple tart or something ready so the weekend would be the time where everybody would be um, excelling Um, Both my mom and my dad will be in the kitchen my mom was very queen of sheets as well uh, when it was time to um, mostly to entertain for other people because she'd have to do it properly so she didn't take any risks so and you know in france you can go to the delicatessen which which I'm, I'm actually still surprised after living here for so many years but it hasn't picked up really here but in france any little village you go to the delicatessen and you can buy ready-made starters it can be a, you can actually buy um, a little pot of um, grated carrot yeah you know you make your own dressing but they will really have done the grating for you and things like that so she will go there and she will uh, buy every single um, thing pre-made and then re-eat them uh, when it was time to entertain. And she used to pretend she used to make them herself. Um, and then when we started to get older, it was quite funny because me and my sister uh, were very keen with, um, with food, uh, keen foodies, she started to tell people, we did it, and we'd be sitting there at the dinner party and, would be, and it, so people would say, oh, Louisette, this is delicious. And she would say, oh, Eric made it. and I'd be. Did I? (laughs) And then you have to explain to people how you did it, and I didn't have a clue because basically, you know, half an hour earlier, it was still in the packet. I love that.
0: You know what, fake it till you make it, it's fine. But sort of give me some examples of dishes that really remind you, like you said the roast chicken, the apple tart, like what was sort of like your midweek meal, or was it just very sort of standard, whatever they could make quickly?
1: um yeah nothing was too was too standard so um uh, one of the top dish of my mom was um as you know one everybody's got one of those in their family where you try to reproduce like my sister try i try it doesn't taste the same it's only my mom make it so she used to do those uh, baked stuffed tomatoes um Ooh. so just tomatoes remove the middle and she used to make this uh, with um, mince meat to so beef meat pork meat and then she would put some um chicken liver parfait in and mix all together, stuff the tomatoes and bake them in the oven and just at the last minute, put rice around it. Oh my god! And the rice will cook in the juice of everything oozing out from the tomatoes. And it was the best thing ever. And um, I can't make it tasting (laughs) as good. I tried so many times, my sister tried, and um, it it doesn't work as well. So that was, it was very simple, but nice and earthy dishes. Oh, you know, that's delicious. Um, yes, absolutely. I'm just thinking in
0: my head, that's something that I could try and uh, make at home. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Probably won't taste as good as your mum's, It's but, called a you know. uh,
1: tomate fasi. Okay. Yeah, but it's got a classic French dish, but uh, she had like a little technique to add all this little extra into it, so...
0: And sort of during my research, is it so? was it your grandma who lived in Syria or came from Syria? What was that connection to the Middle East?
1: Yeah, yeah. so my... Um, on, the, on my dad's side, um, my granddad was a diplomat, so they, uh, they traveled all over the world. And um, so I grew up, when I started to grow up, they were um, back in, um, in France for, they'd done their tour, so they were based in the Loire Valley. So, but their house was like a mismatch of everything. It was just, the decor was everything. So a lot of, they were for a long time in Syria, uh, in Damascus. So they have um, a lot of Arabic things, plus all the Arabic spices and everything. But another country, um, place where they went to um, uh, stay for a long time was in uh, Guadeloupe, oh, in wow. the French Caribbean. Yeah. So it was a mismatch of decor and food and uh, inspirations and music as well. Because, mm. you know, when you're there, suddenly you think, you know, oh, local music is so amazing. So you'd be sitting in this grand apartment in the middle of a tour, which is a beautiful city uh, in the Loire Valley. And then you would have like this weird mixture of um, almost like reggae music playing on one side, and then it would be next some Arabic French, you know, uh, a song coming, oozing at her from the speakers as well. And then the the cooking would be exactly the same. It would be just a combination of everything. But my grandma had a box of spices and she took back from the souk in um, in Damascus, and uh, nobody could touch it, and she was the only one who knew. It was no label whatsoever, so she had this uh, beautiful box and all the little jars, and uh, she knew exactly what was what on everything. So it wasn't even labeled. I remember that. You said, "How does she? How does she know which one to pick and to put? You know, how much do you put or something?" But she knew because you know she they had cooks or something, so yeah. she learned from them and uh, passed it on to to her to her. To her.
0: So I can imagine then as a child, you were probably tasting things that perhaps maybe your friends, like your peers, hadn't tasted because these were these exotic spices that, you know.
1: Absolutely. I mean, you know, you have to remember, I grew up in Brittany where we're famous for pancakes, crepe, (laughs) and and cider. So, you know, Zatar and Raza Lanute and all this, um, you know. Persians and uh, aspirations that didn't exist there. Mm. We never heard of it. I mean, maybe Chile we heard of it, but that's it.
0: (laughs) That's so interesting. And so, I mean, obviously you said that you were really interested in food as a child, so I guess it came as no surprise that you eventually made it into a career. I mean, how did your family feel when you said that you wanted to sort of get into the culinary world?
1: Well, they didn't have any choice because I, um, I told them, I said that's what I wanted to be and apparently I was five at the time so I mean I can't remember the actual thing but apparently it was quite a, an announcement Okay Yeah, very me Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I made a statement, I'm going to be a pastry chef and I made a mission oh, so to make at, it even happen so even at
0: five you wanted to be a pastry chef? Yes,
1: yeah and I never, wow. never wanted to be a, a chef and uh, it was a, a stage in, uh, when I grew up when I was um, a teenager uh, where I was doing badly at school and they said well we can pull him out and he can go to chef school and but he would have to be a chef not a pastry chef and I was like okay I behave I w- I behave I work hard and I will wait another two years and then I can do my um, my training as a pastry chef that's the only thing I wanted to do I mean I love cooking I love food but it's always been pastry nothing else.
0: Wow, I think you might be the first person that I've met who has known what they wanted to do from the age of five. At the age of five, I wanted to be a ballerina because I think that's what every little girl at that time in the uh, 80s and 90s wanted to be. But So your culinary journey has been really interesting and I think one part of it that I'd love to hear about is that you were cooking for the French Navy. What was that experience like?
1: Well so I did um, my training was the classic one um, as an, um, an an apprentice um, which is uh, still in France um, the the most um, the best way to uh, to train and I wish in this country uh, we did more of that because I think I mean I think it's picking up you yeah. know, but I think it's a great way to uh, to work so I did um, a two years apprenticeship when I was 16 um, I picked my boss and the patisserie where I was going to do my apprenticeship when I was 10 uh, because I
0: love you, Eric. You know exactly <laughs> what you want in life.
1: <laughs> I went, uh, We were shopping with my mom on, um, in uh, in Quimper, the the big town, and we, uh, unlike most cities, you know, it's got like so many patisseries and bakeries. Um, but I picked this one because, first of all, the best cakes, and they were the only one who make their own chocolate as well, uh, instead of buying chocolate ready made they were making all the uh, molding all the, uh, their chocolates. Uh, and I was already fascinated by chocolate at the time. So I told my mom, I said, let's go in. Because I heard, I can't remember who told me, or I read or something, Then it was like a waiting list to become a, an apprentice, you know, mostly in a good places. So I said, let's go in and put my name down. You know, my mom said, like, but you're only 10. I said, yeah, I know but Let's get my name in. So I make sure I get in. So we went in and um, my mom said to me, she said trust you to pick the most expensive patisserie in Quimper because and I thought at the time I said why is she saying that because obviously after that for the next six years we'll only have to shop there to make sure I did get the position there so and we only used to use that patisserie for the big occasion because it was expensive it was Christmas and the big birthdays Uh, the other we you know we yeah. could do with the other pâtisserie, but that one was the proper shishi pâtisserie, and um, you know they were super cool. Uh, run the classic way. Madame was at the front, and Monsieur was the chef on the on the back in a, in his laboratoire. And um, they sat us down, and he came out, and you know we had a good chat. And at the end, you know, I said that was it. Put my name down, and uh, six years later I started my apprenticeship. Um, my apprenticeship there. So I will always remember when um, when I had that first meeting with him, he told me, he said, you know, don't think it's going to be easy. You're going to have to work hard and make sure you work hard at college for the next few years, six years, because he said, you know, we're going to invest into you our time. So we want to make sure you come out at the best and you do very well out of it. And then I thought, OK, that's nice. But they did. And, you know, from day one, when I moved into this kitchen, um, every time they were doing something new, and not just the boss, anybody in the uh, in the kitchen, they were like, Eric, come here, do this, do that, you know, have a, have a look. And they were really training me properly. And the way you work on uh, your apprenticeship is um, you do three weeks at work, and then you spend one week at college. And that's yeah. the opportunity for, for you to do more technical things, and maybe things you don't do. So like a lot of my colleagues were, their boss didn't make chocolate so when you went to college you learn how to deal with chocolates or something and then I realized when I went to college when a lot of the apprentices who were there they did nothing they did the washing up they just peel apples mm-hmm. they were some were serving the food on the front of the shop they were basically cheap labor but my boss was there on a mission to make it happen um, so after two years I, um, I graduated and I came out first apprentice of, uh, of the county. And then I came out, um, automatically entered to uh, Brittany and then entered to uh, apprentice of France where I came second uh, at the competition. Someone from Paris obviously had to, uh, had to, had to win. <laughs> um, my dad was a, a little bit, uh, not a control freak, but always make sure when, um, you know, nothing was going on, was always checking on me as well with um, with my boss to make sure I was behaving um, so he, he, they were having uh, some little meetings or something and when i graduated my dad only at that time told me when in the first meeting he had with him you know maybe in the first month or something monsieur legrand my um, my boss said to him um, said to him he said i think we got something special here but he said please do not tell him mm. so he only told me uh, when i graduated so um, so if they, they did deliver it. I was very lucky. And, um, and to be honest, he's like, almost like a good, um, he was because he retired uh, last year. He was like, a, almost like, you know, like a horse breeder. You know, he's, he's got a long list of super talented, uh, pastry chef who came out from his kitchen mm-hmm. because he definitely invested his time on his team time to make sure that uh, all his apprentices came out with the best knowledge on that level but as well. But he also
0: must have seen something in you, you know? I think, I know we joke about sort of knowing what you wanted to do at five and then walking in at ten and saying, can you put my name down? But it is, it, there's so few people like that who invest their time and energy into these young kids that say they want to do this thing. And I, I think it's so lovely to hear that there is that gentleman out there who was doing that, obviously not just for you, but for other people. Um, because that probably just laid all the foundations for what was then going to become, you know, your career.
1: Yeah. So, um, and so, today, yes. today I, I, I make sure I do the same with my uh, yeah. employees or um, you know my chefs as well. I always want to make sure I you know I look after them and um, you know I give try to give them the best as they can uh, they, they can get. And I get asked all the time. I say, oh, will you take some apprentice or something? And because we are such a small business. Uh, I can't really, and the reason I can't is because I won't give them two hundred percent, so I prefer not to say it's, sorry, we can't take any apprentice because if i if i did i would i would want to be another monsieur legrand and uh, make sure you know my apprentice finished number one and on, on everything, so you you do need to have time. To be able to um, to train somebody like this.
0: Absolutely. So then, talk to me about this, the French Navy. I just want to know what that experience was <laughs> like.
1: <laughs> well, I'm that old, then. Uh, I had to do my national service. So when I um, when I graduated and passed all these um, uh, um, lovely uh, competitions on uh, everything, I thought I was going to stay with um, my boss, and I already in my head had the uh, refurbishment of the shop ready and how I'm going to. Jazz it up a little bit because it was all a bit too shishy and old-fashioned so i thought i'm gonna stay there and i'm gonna give you some suggestions about what it could be difficult to believe or not i was a bit cocky when i was young so <laughs> you uh, never uh, <laughs> and um but oh no i got c- kicked off he kicked me away straight away he said okay you're going you need to go now and um next apprentice moving in and um time to um, spread your wing and uh, you need to learn more so I moved to Luxembourg uh, when I was waiting to be called off from a national service, where I uh, learned uh, more about chocolate, like, you know, even more, um, and then I got called out. And when I got called out, um, you know, most of my friends got called out from the national service. When it was time to pick where should I go, it was like, please, can I be next to my mom and my friends? So my mom can do my washing, and I can see my friends at the weekend. Uh, I was the opposite or people were trying to make excuse not to do it and say oh I've got the sore legs or something. I was the opposite. My mentality was okay, I can't escape, I'm fit, I have to give one year of my life to, uh, to my country. What is it? Nothing. Mm. You know, if you live a long time. So I was completely ready for it and I said let's make the most of it. So on the list, I tick all the boxes, on the, on the ship, yes please, submarine, yes please, Abroad, yes please. The uh, last thing I wanted to do is to spend my time next to my parents mm. or next to my friend. Mm-hmm. I wanted to make the most of it. So I tick all those boxes to tra- try to learn something, to travel, to do something a bit more extraordinary than um, uh, living next door to my, my family. So I got called in and um, they offered me two positions and that was all due to the, uh, the results of my apprenticeships. So they, I sat face to face with this naval officer at the time, and uh, you know, you don't know where you're going to be dispatched, you know, it could be Navy or the Army or the Air Force. Um, so he said, okay, uh, we want to send you got two positions, Got one in a Navy where you'll be uh, the captain of the, uh, the private pastry chef or the captain of the Jeanne d'Arc, which wow. was the uh, flagship of the French Navy, which at the time you would describe it almost like the equivalent of the Royal Yacht yeah. Britannia, a yeah. uh, floating embassy, which everybody will know, and even today if you could mention it in France, people would go oh, <laughs> like this. Or the other position was to be based at the Elysee Palace, uh, where the President is based in Paris. So I was just like, oh my gosh, you know, I knew. So I was travel, or the President of France. So I was just like, what to choose? So, so I turned to the uh, officers and I said, what will you do? I said, okay, in Paris, the president's got his own team, so you will probably be doing a lot of cleaning and a lot of little things for a year. It will look good on his CV, but you're not gonna touch any of his food. He said, on the Jeanne d'Arc, and he said, I'm a naval officer, I've been on it, that's where they do their training. He said, you're gonna work hard, but it's just gonna be you on your own with another chef. And he said, I'm recruiting that other chef as well, and it's gonna be, is someone come out for my apprenticeship? And the two of you would be in charge, and you're going to travel the world and do all the entertaining, top-class entertaining, representing France. And in my art, I wanted to travel anyway. And being from Brittany, where the ship is based, um, I went for it. So um, I say, okay, I've got, here we go, uh, let's go. So I had to sign up for 18 months instead of a year, because wow. that's what you did when you were uh, uh, on, on board a ship. And then uh, I was based in Brest, so which is not too far from my family. But it was the irony. and then we um, then we had to go. So we went away for um, five months, visiting 17 different countries. And it, it's a, oh, it, it used to be a big hoo ha when the ship left. It was like a, you know, the ship of the nation of leaving course, the country. Yeah. I remember in those days, no mobile phone, right. no internet, nothing. You know, you were writing to your family. and everything. So it was a big deal when it left. So all my family went. Uh, uh, to say goodbye the youth wouldn't to the understand shift. that these days. No, probably, <laughs> probably. And, um, but it was funny because um, normally uh, when the ship left, the, uh, the Minister of Defence will come and wave goodbye to the national ship. But we could feel in the air, there was something going on. And at the last minute they told us that actually the President was coming to say goodbye to the, um, to the national ship and wish everybody um, good luck. So my first official dinner, uh, lunch, sorry, was for the president of France. So I ticked all the so boxes. So you were about to say you got it all and, uh, in the end. Exactly. Wow, so that was, pretty, I mean, that was an amazing experience. You can imagine me. At the time, 20 years old, the, the chef next to me in our little tiny broom cupboard of a kitchen uh, cooking for the president. And then he came uh, to say thank you at the end and gave us some um, uh, beautiful gold, um, uh, what do you call it, cufflinks with his uh, crest on it as a thank you, which I wear, you know, every time I dressed up, it's the only cuffling I, I, I wear.
0: Gosh, what a beautiful story. Yeah. And so, your time on the ship, I mean, I don't know if this is me sounding a little, like, ignorant, like, so what were you making day to day? Just.
1: Whatever well, was have, needed
0: within the pastry department.
1: Yeah, yeah. but it, it, we were working for the captain, frankly. Uh, right. So sometimes it would just be, you know, one dessert when he was uh, eating on his uh, on his own. But even at seas, he was entertaining. Uh, but when we arrived in the countries, so we could arrive in, um, you know, we went to San Francisco, we went to Pearl Harbor, wow. we went to Tunisia, Panama. We were, I mean, seventeen different countries. We did all for the. Um, uh, of the of the world so this is when we had to work super hard so uh, we were entertaining diplomats president ambassadors uh, they all came on board big cocktail parties we were there to represent the best of France so our budget was no mm. no limits mm. so that's where I started to use Varona chocolate for the first time um, we had to use the best of France I mean on the other side, every time we did a cocktail party, the waiters used to go around um, offering MS calf to all the ladies and a full-size bottle of perfumes. And uh, we were representing um, France as God, its I best. I missed
0: a bee. I I I was <laughs> clearly born in the wrong country at the wrong era.
1: <laughs> but on the same time, it was a lot of demand. You know, and yeah. I, you know, it was it was hard work. And I would always my my favorite anecdote at all of that is um, uh, as we were ready to leave um, uh, Brest. Uh, this container came on board and then they unpacked it. So the, the captain had two butlers and they unpacked the thing and it was all dresses. And I said, am I missing something? And for the first time in my life i have seen that and I've seen that before now, but uh, at the time I was like, what is going on? And they said, oh, this is Madame's wardrobe. So Madame's wardrobe, the captain's wife, sent ahead all uh, outfit for the next five months, all labeled and she had Oh Cocktail party gosh. in Papete, Incredible. this is for Lima, this is for this, this is for that. She will fly Air France to, um, to, the, um, to the destination and she will meet us and appear. You know.
0: I just want to say that this sounds like the most opulent, fabulous period of time. Do you know what's coming into my head, for some reason, when talking about a complete different century? Is, um the Titanic <laughs> I'm kind of imagining all these wonderful people just coming in with like their Louis Vuitton trunks of of, <laughs> of personal clothes and items and it just sounds I mean did you did you you must have loved it was it incredible yeah I mean, it was Hard work but
1: yeah it, w- it was hard work um and on a, we had to deliver it you know so yeah. when you're in the middle of the of the sea or you are in the middle of nowhere in know. I don't know which um, ever country uh, and someone asks you for something you have to you had to deliver you had no choice you cannot just be like oh sorry i haven't got it so yeah. if you haven't got it find a way to make it uh, mm. make it happen which we did so i remember we were with uh, for easter we were in uh, in trinidad and tobago and um, madame just flew in and she opened the the pass and she goes like, hello boys uh, how are you you fine and she goes like oh eric Darling, it would be wonderful if we could have some Easter eggs on a buffet this evening. And uh, she said, "I think she said, I think we've got some mold on board." And uh, it was a second year, so she knew almost what we have better than I did. And I go like, "Yes, yes, of course, madam. No problem. I will, um, I will make some Easter egg." The problem is, as glamorous as it sounded, our ship was a military ship. It was no air conditioning. The kitchen was very oh basic, no. it was cockroaches coming out from every single angles even in the uh, captain apartments so everybody was always brushing <laughs> insect from everybody's shoulders discreetly because um, uh, they were jumping on the on their guests so I thought like, how am I gonna make those eggs so at the end I went into the main galley who does all the food for the um, for the sailors and I went put a table inside the walking fridge, jammed the door with a wooden spoon so the light would still work uh, but the door was slightly Mm. closed and I made my easter eggs on in that fridge and I kept them till the last second till they moved from the big cocktail party on the landing deck for the guests to arrive and I placed them on a table very quickly because they were gone in minutes. I can imagine. The temperature in Trinidad was so hot but, you know, you did have to come up with ideas. Mm. And, uh, and for me, that was something I'd take with me for the rest of my life.
0: Well, I was going to <clears> say, I mean, that sort of training, you don't, you learn that sort of thing on the job. I mean, that, as you said, that, like sort of saying what you've just said, that would have taken you through life. And it's kind of like the creativity that you would go and stand in the walk-in fridge <laughs> to make the Easter eggs. I mean, it's just brilliant. I'm going to fast forward a little bit. You eventually moved to London around sort of 22, Oh no,
1: 89.
0: Oh, so how old were you then?
1: Uh, I was just about uh, uh, 22.
0: Yeah, okay. Yeah, 22, yeah. Um, And you work with Albert and Michelle Roux. What was that experience like?
1: Well, that was, again, um, something incredible. So um, having traveled uh, the world, I wanted to do more. It gave me an appetite for it. But my English was a bit, you know, straight from college. It was good when i was in, in the navy to you know to order some uh, some beers and um, at happy hours or or to lie to um with my age to my age to uh, to go into the some of the clubs and um, <laughs> in america but i thought if i want to go back to america or asia which i was really um uh, eyeing it at the time i said i need to improve my english so i thought let's do one year in uh, in london and, and then do some courses and then I can carry on traveling. So, and at the time, the Rue Brothers were really the only famous sh- British chef, even if it were fresh, mm. French. French. Um, we we read about it in uh, in France. So I applied for them. Mostly Michel Roux Senior was um, uh, a top pastry chef. You know, they were uh, as well as a regular chef. So um, I applied and got a job. And um, that happened to one year. Happened to be five years, because again they were you know, encouraging their, their, their chefs. You know, everybody who was in a kitchen was very young. They were very, um, already at that time, most chefs in the kitchen were uh, British, which was very rare in those days because everybody used to bring chefs from France because yeah. they thought oh, a British chef can't do anything. Yeah. Um, but they were like, no, we need to train British uh, kids to, to cook so they, you know, they can be the next generation. Mm. So. They were very um, open about that and very keen to uh, to do this, working with college and um, and and again it was hard work. You know we were working really hard and um, and it was very clever of them. You know they used to so we came over and they give you accommodations and um, and then you realize you were working so hard you didn't need to be paid because you didn't have time to spend any money. So <laughs> it was almost um, it was almost that uh, that way. But um, it was it was a big eye opener but very rewarding as well and very quickly they. Um, I got promoted and uh, it was mostly Albert at the time who, um, because Albert was so hand-on and, uh, and he used to call me every morning like he used to call all his chefs. Always at the same time, always at five o'clock, doesn't matter where it was in the world, doesn't matter what time the uh, time zone it was, 5am 5 5 a. he used to ring and in those days I was work, starting to work at 1am, okay, it was quite a big production kitchen. So for five years I was working like a I was like a bat. I work at night wow. basically. And at 5 a.m., Albert will ring and it'll be, My dear boy, how are you today? And I'll say, I'm fine, thank you. Everything okay? Yeah, everything is fine. And I, I won't go to detail, it was no need for those details. And then he put the phone down and say, Okay, have a good day, it's fine. Sometimes he will say Oh, I'm actually I'm in Peru and I just came across some fabulous people who, uh, who grow melons. So um, they're going to send you some melon balls or something. I don't know. Yeah. It was always something. You always come across something extraordinary. So he would tell us that. But on the same time, if I wanted to have, if something was seriously wrong. So I'm not talking because a fly was on the on the wall or mm. something. If something was seriously wrong, like I remember at one stage I had the medical issues and. Um, you know the system is very different in this country than it was in France. So I thought it was the same, and then I needed to see a doctor, and I could not see a doctor. So, but they helped me out. But I told Albert, and I just he said, "Oh, how are you?" And I said, "Oh, I'm fine." And I said, "Actually, can I tell you something?" I said, "If you're going to bring people over, you need to explain how it works." Mm. And he went, "Oh my God, you're so right. You know, I can't believe we don't do that." And the next thing, the company created like a little handbook. So when the the other chefs arrived from abroad, doesn't matter if they were from Italy or France or something. He was like a little guy. You need to go to the bank to open a bank account. You need to go to the NHS to get your number and logged in into your thing. So he will listen. And I will always apologize at the end. And he said, please don't. He said, I call all my chefs. And he said, I have to hear them whinging every day. You never say a word. You're, you know, and, I, and I, he said, I know what's going on in your kitchen because everybody told me everything, so I know, but you don't tell me, because, so don't worry about it, that's important and I will make sure it will be sorted. So it, it was an, uh, another amazing experience and uh, and you know, I'm part of the family now, you know, it's, yeah. uh, I grew up with them, I grew up with Michel Ruiz Jr and, uh, and his wife and uh, they looked after me and I only re- realized recently that my mom used to ring Michel Ruiz Jr's wife, with, uh, used to work in administration every month to make sure I was okay oh. and I was eating properly.
0: Oh,
1: Giselle told me that uh, only it was only recently we were doing a show in, uh, in Dubai and she said did you realize your mom used to bring me every month to make sure you were eating properly she needed to send you something That's like. <laughs> God, you know it's what? It's so funny. funny.
0: Everyone speaks so highly of those guys. It, it's it's sort of like it was like a family away from home. He, was, he kind of was a bit like a father figure to you in the way that he was calling you every day to check in. I, I love things like that. I yeah, think yeah, It's no, really it was, important it, it to really been, and, care about yourself. It's not yeah. just about teaching someone and nurturing them, but it's actually like genuinely checking in on them.
1: Yeah, and caring about yeah. them. You know, making sure, I mean, I know it's, you know, in, in, in today's world, you know, um, mental health uh, and um, well-being is very important, but they to Back in the day, that conversation
0: do, wasn't, that wasn't, wasn't very there. widely spoken about. Yeah,
1: but they were doing yeah. it already. They yeah. were on the, you know, if, you, if something went wrong, they did make sure they could mm. sort it out and make it um, easier for, uh, for everybody.
0: So you, well, obviously worked your way up. You said that you were promoted, you became the head pastry chef. I guess I w- really just want to ask you, and you mentioned it earlier on in the chat, what is it about pastry that you love so much? Because you said that you, you, know, you love cooking, but it was pastry you knew that was what you wanted mm-hmm. to focus on. What is it about it that you love?
1: Um, for me, it was mostly, uh, mostly the creativity and the glamour behind it. I used to be fascinated as a kid um, uh, by the uh, beautiful patisseries. Uh, and we used to go like um, most French family every Sunday, that's what you do in France, you know you go to the patisserie. People always assume French people are baking all the time, but actually they, they don't. That's why they don't sell, you don't sell many books in France because you know, they, that's why they got patisserie. They go like, well, I'm not gonna make, why would I make it? You know, the pâtissier are there. They're, that's their profession. And uh, so people, you know, every Sunday will go. And on the same time as well, one thing doesn't really happen here is if you go to someone's house, you will bring a cake. And that person won't be offended. It's uh, it's like here, you bring a bottle of, uh, of wine or yeah. some flowers, yeah. you will bring a cake. You will go to the patisserie, you load order a special cake or you buy one from the shelf, and uh, you go there. So um, every Sunday we used to go there and I used to love everything about those uh, patisseries. I used to love the presentation, the way they sell the cakes, how everybody, you know, the staff would be beautifully dressed up and everything. And then the way they wrap it on everything, you know. I mean, it it is expensive. People are spending, you know, 100 euros on the tiny little cake, you know, six inch cake, you know, know, in in, in France, yeah. But when they walk out about patisseries, it it looked like they just bought a Louis Vuitton handbag or or a Chanel handbag because, you know, they feel they they got that lovely, delicious, precious uh, parcel there. So that was really the main attraction into it. And then when I started cooking or baking at home, I starting to fell in love with the ingredients and uh, the chemistry behind it because I used to love the, how you started with some basic ingredients you would have in your cupboard, and then you can turn into something so, you know, who can be beautiful or so delicious as well. So it's very rewarding as well, that's what I found about, about baking.
0: Absolutely. I, was, and I, I mean, as someone who is very much just a home cook and home baker, I couldn't agree with you more, and I've said this for years, that I find... For me, baking is very therapeutic because it's scientific. And I love cooking, but when I'm baking, I feel like I do have to follow that recipe because there's a big difference between having 100 grams of flour to 100 grams of sugar, whatever, and then suddenly changing it. You know, with with cooking, you can kind of loosely, your measurements don't need to be exact all the time. It's always, there's always room for like, you know, adding a bit more, whatever. But that's what I love about baking is that it is quite structured in that way yeah and and back to what you just said is that I mean listen I'm gonna get this all wrong completely but you know everything from making a crème patisserie to making a custard to making a I don't know a Swiss meringue it's it's adding a little bit of something to make it into something completely different yeah. and I love that and I and I get why it is expensive because yeah there is a lot of work that goes into exactly. these beautiful creations. They are works of art. They do. They, they really are.
1: And um, that's one thing I was you know, when we teach here and we run our classes, um, my opening my opening sentence to our student is, today we are baking, we are not cooking. Yeah. Because that's Two where usually people things. go wrong. And yeah. I always tell them the fact, but in France we say baking, patisserie, is chemistry.
0: Yeah.
1: And Maybe you don't know, maybe you're going to learn that that today. The official name for a pastry kitchen in France, if you do Google Mm. Translate, it will say cuisine, which is the word for a kitchen in a Mm. restaurant. But the official name for a pastry kitchen in France is laboratoire.
0: No way! The laboratory.
1: That's the official Ah, name. Ah,
0: that's interesting. When you go to a
1: pâtisserie, on the door going to the kitchen, it will say laboratoire, because we think we are more alchemists yes. than chefs. Yeah. So you, you will never say, oh, I'm going into the cuisine. You say, I'm going into the lab, because that's, that's what fascinating. That's what we are, because it's all about precision, understanding how the ingredients work together. Yeah. And usually that's where people go wrong, because they think they are a little bit of a Jamie Oliver, and a, <laughs> a little bit of this, a little, a little, bit, bit, a little of a bit
0: of that. They throw it all into a bowl. Yeah. And
1: as you say, it does work with savory cooking, most of the time yeah but in patisseries no it's usually yeah. asking for disasters
0: and i mean i guess you know there's a few things that have definitely contributed i think to like the rise in baking especially in this country one we've obviously come out of two years of lockdown where people were making banana bread like it was going out of fashion just so, you know i did not make banana bread <laughs> i made other crazy things that would make me I, I get very stressed a little bit sometimes and i that's why i find baking quite therapeutic but I mean, obviously, you know, Great British Bake Off completely changed the world's, Mm -hmm. uh, knowledge, well, not, yeah, the world, I guess now, knowledge on things like creme pat. I mean, I didn't even know what creme patisserie was until I watched Great British Bake Off. But I guess, you know, when, in terms of baking, is it something that needs to be learned or do you think that it it can come naturally like you obviously you you were taught you you went on your apprentice with that lovely gentleman but do you feel like some people do just have a certain talent for it
1: well I think you need um, the talent the, the natural talent come in um, presentations yeah which I think you know it's uh, it's it's always important it's not the most important things because you know you can have the most beautiful cakes but if it tastes horrible that's what people will always remember I mean, how many weddings have you been? And the cake looks absolutely amazing. Yeah. But then you taste it, and secretly you wrap it in a napkin, and it goes into your handbag, and yep. you discard of it been when you there, arrive home. That. Yeah. Uh, so you know, the, the priority is the taste, then the decoration. So it does help if you have a little bit of a you know good taste, and you are a bit artistic as well. And and then you got the uh, the magic things, which, I mean. I, I think I, I got that where you know I travel the world. I go everywhere. I always look for something new, and my imagination is working. I see one thing. I never copy and paste, but I will see one ingredient so I will see one presentation of something. Like at Royal Ascot last week, you know, I've seen so many other things from the other chefs, and I go like, oh, I'm gonna try this. Mm. I'm gonna try that herb, and mm. usually I get. I get it right mm. so like when I write recipes for my books or for our social media or something sometimes I can watch television and I'm there writing the recipe and I go okay so that's one done and my partner will always go like say how do you know you, you, it work and I go like yeah it should work because I know the equation of, course and, of course and usually if it doesn't work it doesn't doesn't work <coughs> properly we're not talking about oh I think you need to put a little bit more sugar or something yeah when the, the recipe go for testing they come back and they say, it doesn't work. And I, and I realize, oh, maybe I put too much lemon juice or something. I don't know. Uh, but um, I think that's the natural talent is to, how to get the flavors to, the texture, the flavors to work together. Um, and then the creativity in a, in a presentation as well. But then be innovative as well. You do need to stay on the top of the, of your game. There's so many new pastry chef coming up and, there's always some new techniques, some new ingredients, new molds or anything. So mm. I always keep um, up to date, but you do have to have a natural flair. And um, like any professions uh, with patisserie, it's been the same, you know, every, I would say, maybe 10 years, there is one who will suddenly revolutionize the whole thing. Mm. You know, when I was a kid, Gaston Lenotre was the guru patisseries when everybody used to go oh my god he's so innovative now you look at the picture of his cake and you go like oh my god that's <laughs> almost like crafty, you know yeah. glass cherries yeah. everywhere yeah, and yeah, everything yeah. but then suddenly we had Pierre Hermé who appeared and c- completely revolutionized mm. the way we uh, we worked in uh, in patisseries and now you got the Cedric, Cedric Grolles and you got all these new kids are coming up with uh, some new things so uh, it's always you know it's a moving Uh, industry as well which is uh, which is great and uh, so you do need to tick all those boxes
0: absolutely and then obviously present day we are sitting in cake boy which is your beautiful sort of emporium baking school uh, in Battersea and you set this up, you said before recording, was it 16 years ago? 16 years ago, yeah. And obviously it's gone through different um, evolutions, but can you talk to me about The Baking School and sort of how it works, and if people yeah. wanted to sign up, like what, what's the deal?
1: Yeah, so we started the, our business um, originally in 95, 1995, Gosh. when I left the Rue Brothers, and that was um, as a wholesaler, so uh, almost uh, copying their, bus- their actual business. And they were my first customers, so <laughs> we didn't leave in, in bad term or anything, you know. Michel Rue rang me had the first phone call I had. He ordered a a frisier for the gavroche, and I was just like, "Are you sure?" And he go like, yeah, "You need business, no?" And I go like, Aww, "Yeah, yeah, I do." I love so that. that was pretty cool. So we did that for a long time, and um, uh, supplying places like Arve Nichols for the mason, some of the top hotels and restaurants. But I remember. We, uh, our first kitchen was like, it looked like a giant home kitchen, so it really attracted us. And I said straight away, I said, okay, when we all set up, we're gonna start doing uh, baking classes. Because I wanted to share my, my passion with it, and I was fed up about people saying, oh, it takes too long, it's too complicated, you know, it's only for retiring people. So I was just like, we, we're gonna do classes. And then we jump onto the hamster wheel and it never happened. We went on and on. And then we moved from the wholesale to Cakeboy, which was uh, always the dream, basically, to have a, a bit of a cafe, a bit of a retail, and the baking school. So it took us a long time to get the, the famous classes started, um, which now we're just concentrating uh, on uh, because um, that's what I love doing. Mm. I mean, as you know, as I suspect instead of having one apprentice, I get six apprentices every week coming yeah. in, uh, which, uh, which, uh, which I love doing. And um, it's doing extremely well, uh, mostly during the lockdown, like you said, uh, people are hungry to learn new things. Um, social media is a big help as well because people don't just want to see another banana cakes. <laughs> they want to know how to make a mirror glaze like Cédric Grollet or Pierre Hermé. They want to make the same macaron. They want to learn how to make the best crème patissière. Uh, they want to be something and will look amazing. So, and that's what we do here. And uh, I think our secret here is we're doing it, but making it uh, accessible. Mm. So make sure they can get all the ingredients easily. There's nothing worse than to go to a cooking school. And then when you leave, you can't get any of the ingredients because it's only for chefs. So yeah. you have to buy big volumes. So we make sure that everything we put on a, on the, uh, in the class, people can get all the ingredients. They can buy them all. They can buy, and we tell them where to, where to go. And I'm doing it on a casual way. Mm. You know, it's a fun day. I mm. always tell them, I said, it's not the bake off. It's not a competition. Mm. It's not a race. you The main thing is I want you to walk away to have a fantastic day and a lot of goodies in your bags and lots of tip of the trade how to take your baking to a different level. I mean, this is almost recorded. I could press the button. Yeah. That's what I tell them when they come and they have a little breakfast, an opening breakfast, because that's what I want people to do. And they, they're coming back for more, which is, uh, which, is, uh, which is great. And this is our, obviously, development kitchen for um, events like Royal Ascot or when we work with airlines or cruise ship. Um, and then we get called out to do more classes um, abroad as well. So in October, we're going to be uh, flying in the Middle East where we're doing a, a whole series of classes in Dubai, mm-hmm. because, you know, the world is hungry for learning how to bake. Um, and it's, you know, I, some chefs are good in their kitchens, but they're not very good when they come yeah. out from it. Uh, I'm the opposite. I'm, um, I think I was more designed to be front of house than, uh, than uh, back of house. I love, you know, that's why, I, I love when we had the retail. I, w- I would be always on the front chatting to people, and people love that, uh, you know, face-to-face, uh, uh, you know, uh, meeting points as well. So, um, uh, and, and I think we're doing it the, the right way. So, um, so yeah, there's a big demand for it. So, if you want to book, they can go on uh, uh, cakeboy.com, iphoneboy.com. Sorry, I have to <laughs> say that. If you forget the iPhone. Um, you go into some um, more exotic oh, uh, t- pages.
0: Yeah, that's that, that's not for that family day out.
1: <laughs> no, that's not for <laughs> the family day out. Uh, cakeboy.com and um, yeah, and we change the classes on a regular basis as well. So um, so there's still a few places till the end of the year, but um, we're almost fully booked. So, gosh which is good. I
0: think I want to sign up. I think <laughs> it sounds so much fun.
1: You should definitely. Come. Yeah, I'd
0: love to. So I've got to ask you, what is your favorite? Okay, I'm going to split this up. What is your favorite cake?
1: Oh, favorite cake, um, cake or dessert? Oh, well, this is see, or... see now
0: I'm talking to a professional because yes. you're trying to. Um, I want to do cake first. Like, okay. what's your favorite cake flavor? If you were going to design a cake for yourself, what would it be?
1: Um, it had to be chocolate. Anything with chocolate okay. really tick the the boxes for me. I'm not a big cake person, you know, like the big ghetto, I don't know, you know, spongy things. That's not really my. Um, my, my thing, I'm more deserty, so I like a good fraisier um, or anything with chocolate or anything zesty. Okay. So um, give me a, a good lemon tart to finish a dinner or a lunch or an alfresco uh, afternoons in the heat somewhere, I will be super happy. In a winter, give me a tartin. but the perfect tartatain, very rare okay, what, days. Okay, what,
0: what is the perfect tart-tatin?
1: Uh Made a la minute, so, you know... Out of the oven with all the juice on the steam and very caramelized with a nice crispy pastries are uh, very difficult to find so far for me. Trinity in Clapham, if you're in London, okay. you have to, and you know it's going to be a good one because you have to pre order it before you turn up. Oh, wow! So when okay. you book, you have to pre order your tatata. You mean you know it's going to yeah. be a good one?
0: Oh, I'm starting to feel a little um, sal- I'm salivating a little bit, <laughs> and I guess. For people who are out there baking a lot, you, I guess you've kind of answered it before, but what makes a good cake or a good dessert? I mean, you're saying it's flavour first, but is there anything in particular?
1: Well, I mean, the, um, the ingredients is the, mo- the most important thing. Alberu used to say, rubbish in, rubbish out. <laughs> so if you're going to invest some time to, um, to bake a cake or a dessert, um, usually for a big Celebration or celebrating somebody or a big birthday or a happy occasion. Don't go cheap on the ingredients. Mm. Always get the best ingredients, even if it look completely rubbish. It, yeah. Uh, if you didn't burn it completely, it should taste nice. Um, and people always go too too complicated as well. You know, when you're at home, if you haven't got much time or something, don't try to become. Uh, <laughs> a master chef or a mission star chef. Yeah, yeah. Just do something simple, yeah. something when, you know, you're not gonna get stressed about it, you know it's gonna deliver it, and it will tickle the boxes, instead of trying too hard, and then it's a failure, yeah. and then you it will ruin your day and um, everything else.
0: I'm laughing because I've been there before, and it's just, it always, for some reason, it ends in tears with me, I did, I'm a, clearly a very emotional woman. Um, when you are at home, what are some of your specialities for cooking?
1: When I'm, when I'm at home on a day to day, I love cooking. I, keep, I try to keep it simple. I'm busy, it's always on the go. I'm not very good at shopping, which is. I was doing very well during the, um, during the lockdown where I did one visit to the local supermarket and it was all planned and it was organized. And now I'm back to an empty fridge with two bottles of champagne, <laughs> loads of chocolates just about enough eggs for my Sunday eggs on the weekend and I go every day to the supermarket, almost stressed to sounds That sounds like, quite, that sounds the like a fabulous things. fridge actually. <laughs> Champagne,
0: chocolate and eggs, what else oh, no. do you need?
1: But it's, it, you know, um, so that's not the best of the best, but when it's time to entertain, um, I become a bit like my mum. I love entertaining. I always make sure that everybody had a good time. And I've been too often to dinner party where the host is too stressed. Mm -hmm. So I keep it easy. So the people who come for the first time expect mission star food beautifully painted with like you know a smudge of something or or sugar cage on top of the dessert and (laughs) they could not be more far away from it. My idea of entertaining is to have a huge tagine who will have been slow cooking for hours in the oven, which I will plunk on a table where everybody will stock in. So I can be at the table with my guests. I will be the perfect host, make sure the glass are full and I'm part of the conversation instead i of being locked in you know, in the kitchen. And it's the same for dessert. So my party trick, which uh, I, I do all the time and a lot of my friends keep asking to do it again, is um, do you like, some bring people in the kitchen and do their own dessert. So like a souffle, for example. So I will, get, I will do, like I do for my YouTube channels or I do for my Instagram, I will have all the ingredients lined up, the kitchen head will be ready, and then I tell, right, everybody up, come in the kitchen, you whisk the egg white, you melt the chocolate, you do this. Oh, what a laugh. And everybody crack on. And you know, every dinner party finish always in the kitchen anyway. Yeah. So <laughs> why not pushing the boat out and what make them do a little bit of work? And a souffle take, 13 minutes to cook, so during that time we can refill the glass and then we all work together to make the dessert. And that's my biggest and recommended party trick. You should oh my try that. I mean,
0: I, I'm going to, I'm going to be honest, Eric, I've never made a souffle before, so trying to do that first go on a dinner party makes me slightly nervous. So, what I might do is I'm going to invite myself to yours for a dinner party, okay. learn off you, well, and then you I'll can. do it yeah. for my friends. <laughs> <laughs> But that's such a cool idea. I love things like that, that are a little bit different, but involve everyone. Yeah, exactly. And and it's something that people remember as well. Yeah. When you do find yourself out and about, where are some of your favorite places to eat dessert?
1: Oh, dessert. I mean, we are spoiled in London with uh, with food. I I traveled a lot for pleasure and work. And I'm always, I go like, okay, yeah, this is nice, but London is such international... And the offering compared to um, you know i know paris is obviously very good mm. but it's all very french mm. but when you come here you can have peruvian food you can have anything um, you like and um, we're still well behind with uh, with patisseries and uh, you know over the years many chefs have been coming and trying to to change you know to try to change the mentalities When you know it's not just going to gregg's for a sausage rolls <laughs> you could go to a um, to a patisserie to buy an expensive croissant or or a cake to take to somebody's yeah. house but so far I, hasn't, I haven't been convinced that that's going to happen so um it's you know usually if i want to go for some good dessert i would have to go to a restaurant because there's no proper still mm. patisserie you know i mean i know so the growlays just opened at the barclay um there's um uh, the corner patisserie has got a beautiful um uh, selection there with Nicholas who's doing an amazing job on a, and, uh, you know it looked like they're doing well so uh, you know I hope it's gonna stay there and it's gonna uh, deliver it so but I'm very picky you know yeah, I um, can I... again and, you know, too often I find it's all about the look and then when you taste it it's all a bit mushy mushy yeah. and creamy and uh, I like to be entertained to the last bite and uh, that's what I want my cakes to be even when we used to do muffin here when uh, the cafe was open you know, we used to inject them with like blueberry compote. So when they were topped with compote, and then when you break them in half, it will be oozing out, because that's what you want. You want texture. You want you want excitement. Till yeah. You finish it. Yeah. Uh, there's nothing worse than eating fluff.
0: Yeah, for I couldn't too agree much. More. It's also like you want a bit of a surprise. Yes. Like you're not expecting it.
1: Yes, I like. That's what I like. You know finally when you reach the bottom and you go oh my god it's crispy there's more there's something going on <laughs> yeah. my mouth is going crazy oh no so um that's my style so I, i'm pretty difficult okay. when it's time for patisserie and dessert and um, i think most people know or will have read about it give me cheese more okay than dessert. you're my kind of guy i know so, so um, but if i read something on the menu will excite me or i go like oh do you know what that sounds great i will order it i will order it but between you and me, obviously, I go to restaurants and sometimes I get recognized. And of course, the pastry chef go completely overboard. Okay. So they go like, say, and then um, would you like to order a dessert? And I go, like, I said, actually, yeah, I love the che- The cheese trolley look amazing. And you can see the face of the Metro D going like, <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> and um, and then, then he go, like, yeah, of course, yeah. And then suddenly this, procession of dessert arrived because the pastry chef have made oh, one of each gosh. for the table and we have to go through every single dish or anything and I, I understand on that, on that go, oh no my god I feel so bad because he probably went into the kitchen and he said he doesn't no. want dessert <laughs> I, mean, I would be offended yeah so. yeah no I get it so sometimes I, I feel the uh, I feel the room now yeah. like, when I've, I go like oh okay they know they recognise me there's some things being made in the something. kitchen just, so just order something I go like oh Let the chef decide or they can send something uh, they fancy. But yeah, sometimes you will see the table, it's one of each. And you go, how are we going to get out of this room (laughs) um, quickly? But sometimes you are pleasantly surprised. What a
0: tough life you have, (laughs) Erin. My heart bleeds for you. (laughs) Right, I've finished my conversations with a few questions. So, what is the craziest food you've ever eaten?
1: Oh, craziest food. Um, It'll have to be in... um, In Tahiti I have to eat um, rotten, well, I would describe it as rotten fish, uh, it's been soaked into seawater for for days, so it did smell like rotten fish, but it's a delicacy there. Okay. So I had to eat that, and uh, the smell and the taste did match together perfectly. Wow. Uh, But that was the worst food, and actually (laughs) when I went to Iceland I had to taste, um, they do that shark
0: it's, oh, not, it's yes. not real sharp, oh.
1: but marinated uh, shark yeah. as well, which is exactly the same. So, but it's basically marinated in sea water and uh, let to sit in the sun. So lovely to sort yes. of
0: ferment and to ferment. Sort of, yeah, yeah. So lovely. that's um,
1: the worst food I ever nice. tasted. Nice.
0: Okay. What has been your most memorable meal? Um,
1: it will have to be the first time I went to uh, Le Gavroche. Oh, Uh wow. When I, my parents came to visit me the first year, I, went to, um, I came to, uh, to London, so I, uh, I took them there and it was one of the first time, they, they'd never been to a Mission star restaurant, so you know, at the time it was a tree Mission star, mm. um, so they were completely blown away. And my mum being my mum, uh, when they bring the digestive trolleys, it was two trolleys with every single liqueurs and uh, cognac and everything you could get managed to pick something they didn't have. She was just like, Oh, I will have a, a, a blackberry wand. and you could see the face of the guy and he go like so if you hold on a bit. So they went under the cellar, it was go oh, right under Mayfair and they found a bottle. That's how you know they how good they are. That's when they you found have three a bottle Michelin stars. <laughs> I know and I was going to say, Oh gosh, Mum, why did you have to ask? <laughs> they have like twenty bottles, why can't you ask for something they oh, had? So brilliant. it was definitely um uh, one of the most memorable ones um uh, because they uh, are sentimental as of well course, right?
0: of course important question coming up my favorite snack of all time is a packet of crisps what is your favorite flavor of crisps and why
1: a salted one
0: okay so when you say salted are we talking like a really thick cut chip are we talking like a walker's are we to- like you've got to Give I, me something.
1: Um, I like the um, I like the cheap cheap chips. Okay. I like the like a crips, Walkers. Crips, yeah. yeah. I like the the walkers one, yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. And but just plain salted. I'm a big
1: fan of the Lyle one, but you can't get them in the this what country. Ones? It's, called it's called Lyle. It's like the uh, in um, in Europe and in the Middle East. They, Lyle, yeah. Well these
0: is walkers. Yeah,
1: but they are much better. They don't they don't taste the same. And they come in foil continents, but they Good. are they are they are the same but different. But I agree. Yeah, I love those, because okay. sometimes the, the some of the crepes can be quite hard, but actually I quite like the Spanish one with truffle as well, I mean your friends, we all love truffle. I know. You know.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what food sums up happiness for you?
1: Um, any food you, you, you can share. Okay. That's why I love um, I love sharing food. I love um, when I go out with my partner. We always um, we always order something different, so we can swap it mm-hmm. and things. So I don't really care which kind of food it is, but if you can have a big plate on the middle and help yourself, or you can swap with somebody else, um, I think it's um, sharing food is a big thing.
0: Final question: Live to eat or eat to live? Live to eat. Hey, Definitely. Of course. There's no other way. Uh,
1: no, there's, there's no... There's just no
0: other way. And if anyone gives me that answer, I mean, it never ends well. So, uh, no. you know... <laughs>
1: good. Oh, good. I'm Eric. glad I take that box. <laughs> <laughs> Eric,
0: thank you so much. No, I've known my pleasure. you for a long time. I hope that we get to know each other for even longer as the, as the years go on. And um, I'm going to come to yours to learn how to make souffle and thank you so much for hosting me today.
1: My pleasure. Thank you. Until next
0: time. Thank you for tuning in. If you love what you hear, please subscribe and review. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Crazy Sexy Food and check out the Crazy Sexy Food YouTube channel. Until next time. Bye.